welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushable. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of June 3, 2018. We begin with an article from PBS.org, which was published on June 2, and Kim Charlson, KCB president, is quoted in the article. We thought that you'd find this general article of interest. Helen Keller was born in 1880, just over 50 years after Louis Braille published his writing system. Braille, who was three when an accident in his father's workshop left him blind, had been frustrated by the reading system available to him at the Royal Institute for Blind Youth in Paris, embossed Latin letters. Tracing the text was a slow process, and the books were so huge and expensive to produce that few existed. Moreover, the system did not offer a realistic way for a blind person to write. Braille understood that the blind needed access to the same information as everyone else if they were to be treated equally. Determined to facilitate that transfer of knowledge, he began working on his own system, inspired by a code of dots and dashes created for soldiers by a French army captain. Braille was just 15 when he completed his alphabet of raised dots, produced using a slate and stylus. His invention was met with praise from some corners and consternation from others. At one point, school administrators confiscated Braille's writings and burned them. They wanted their students to use raised lettering because the teachers couldn't read Braille's dots. But Braille proved too powerful a tool to deny. It spread from France to England and across the pond to the United States, inspiring spin-offs as it went. Investments in machinery and tradition meant institutions clung stubbornly to their own systems. By the time Helen Keller became of reading age, there were a host of competing alphabets, a state of affairs some called the War of the Dots, and Keller simply called absurd. Quote, she used four or five systems pretty regularly, says Jennifer Arnett, research librarian at Perkins School for the Blind. Those included American Braille, English Braille, another dot system called New York Point, and Boston Line Type, an embossed Roman alphabet. Keller's frustration at having to know all of them was confounded by how few books were available in any of the codes to begin with. Quote, she couldn't call a library like the one here at Perkins and say, I want a copy of a famous literary novel of the day, because there was so little available in accessible format, says Kim Charlson, executive director of Perkins Library. Perkins, one of the only organizations producing accessible reading materials in first decades of the 1900s, published just a dozen Braille books on a good year. The books early publishers did produce tended toward the classics and the morally uplifting. Quote, the Bible got done early because everyone wanted blind people to read it, 
Heaven forbid you just wanted to read a good story, says Charlson. Getting any book was a treat, but getting one that Helen would have wanted to read because of her studies and her intellect would have been even more challenging. But Keller persevered. When the material she wanted to read wasn't available in an accessible form, people read to her, spelling into her hand. Though it took months to transcribe a volume of her schoolwork, Keller became the first deafblind person to earn a Bachelor's of Arts degree, graduating from Radcliffe College in 1904. Fourteen years later, in 1918, Braille was standardized in the United States, thanks in part to Keller's advocacy. Another cause she championed, a national library program for the blind, was created in 1931. A small sample of Keller's personal library that she donated to Perkins between 1904 and 1915 includes works in a variety of languages and makes for an impressive reading list by anyone's standards. Today, computers have dramatically changed the landscape for Braille readers and writers. While Braille literacy has declined since 1960, voice technology enables users to read and write swiftly and efficiently. Devices like iPhones have built-in screen readers that blind users can listen to at remarkable speeds. Quote, we're living in an incredible period for the potential of technology to change the lives of people who are blind, says David Powers, president and CEO at Perkins School for the Blind. If a person who's blind picked up your phone, you'd be amazed at what they could do with it. End of quote. Louis Braille had wanted the blind to gain access to the worlds of knowledge contained in books. When Helen Keller died on June 1, 1968, at the age of 87, she had not only read more than most, she had also become the author of a dozen books, sharing her own knowledge and wisdom with the world. And she accomplished all of that in an analog era. Quote, What an amazing thing it would be to show Helen today's technology, says Kim Charlson. Just think of what she could have done. And this announcement was posted on Leadership on June 1. Richard Turner, a Master Card Mechanic Manipulator, Magician, and Fortune 500 Motivational Speaker, will address the Sunday Morning General Session on July 1 at the 2018 ACB Conference and Convention. A popular stage entertainer and winner of the 2014 coveted Close-Up Magician of the Year Award, Turner's unparalleled skill with a deck of cards is a sight to see. Variety has called Turner nothing short of dazzling. Oh, and by the way, Turner is blind. Convention attendees will get the chance to view Delt, an, an award-winning audio-described documentary about Richard, his magic, and tremendous celebrity success. On Sunday evening, July 1, at 8 p.m. Join ACB for this complimentary audio-described film screening and join Richard for a post-film discussion and question-and-answer session. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to view a documentary with its star. 
To register for the conference, visit www.acbconvention.org. Dan Spoon, ACB First Vice President from Orlando, Florida, attended the 2018 KCB Crossroads Conference on April 6 and 7 in Louisville. Dan was a great guest from ACB, and he led six different breakout sessions, but he also presented our banquet speech. It was truly motivational, and we bring you that speech on page two. And the Sound Prince calendar is on page three. Page two. We're going to get started again, and you all are in for a treat tonight. Uh, I hope you all have managed to attend some of the sessions that Dan Spoon has done this weekend. He's done a fantastic job. And the next stop on the road is with Dan Spoon from Orlando, Florida. Well, good evening, everyone. I, uh, following uh, the wonderful discussion we had at lunch today from uh, Amanda and Patty, I just want to say thank you very much for inviting me to participate in the Crossroads. I don't know exactly what I thought to expect with Crossroads, but it's been a really uh, wonderful opportunity to see so many uh, leaders in the in the Kentucky area and, and from around the country kind of get together and really work hard to uh, you know to learn more about how they can improve themselves as leaders so first of all all of you give yourselves a big round of applause and thank you for all your hard work to volunteer this weekend from an officer with the American Council of Blind, thank you. Thank you for investing your time and your energy in becoming a better leader and a better volunteer and a better member of our organization. I also want to take an opportunity to thank uh, Carla and Adam Rushable and Amanda and Debbie and uh, Rick, and I know I shouldn't have gone down this path because I'll probably forget somebody, Paula and all the members of the committee. I really appreciate the opportunity and, and thank you so much. I wanted to share with you tonight, Carla, you know, the, the theme I was given is uh, accelerate into the future, next stop on the road. And I was thinking at this point in time, we might even change it a little bit and say, accelerate into the future, keep going until you run out of gas. <laughs> And I think right now, <laughs> we're, our tank is getting pretty close to empty. So when I talked to Debbie, she said, I'm the only thing uh, between uh, the end of the evening and you all going home and getting a chance to get warm and cozy in your own home. So I, I promise I won't talk more than an hour and a half or two hours tonight. So <laughs> we'll, keep it, we'll keep it short. But first, I wanted to share a little bit with you all about kind of my my journey, uh, my acceleration into the future, and and kind of the surprising turns that that's taken over the years. So I uh, I'm a person with uh, retinitis pigmentosus. I got diagnosed when I was eight years old as a very you know second grade, and had pretty good usable vision at that point in time. And then it continued to deteriorate over my. Uh, you know, my college years and, you know, got to the point where I needed, you know, I'm, I'm one of these old farts, so, you know, back in the days where, you know, before the real, you know, the computer age and all that stuff. So when I went to college, 
boy, this is going to really date me, but we used punch cards, you know, in order to, to, to do a, a basic Fortran program. So at that point in time, really your life was built around having readers and those kind of things to help you with your books and all that stuff as I started to lose my vision. So when I graduated um, in 1981 from the University of Florida, I had gotten my MBA in accounting. So I had an undergraduate degree in finance and MBA in accounting, and I thought, wow, I'm ready to take on the world. I may have some visual impairment, but I've, you know, I've got the education and I'm ready to go. And I very quickly learned that you know, there were a lot of obstacles out there for somebody that was blind or visually impaired. First, the CPA exam was not even offered in large print. There was no extra time. So nobody had given any consideration to the fact that there might be a blind person that wanted to be an accountant. And then I interviewed with all, at that point in time, what they had called the big eight accounting firms. So with, uh, they were like your Price Waterhouses and your Ernst and & Youngs and you know some of those names you might remember. Well, at that point in time, I interviewed through multiple interviews and found out very quickly that, um, that people really were not interested in hiring a blind person. In fact, I got a second interview with Price Waterhouse, and what I learned there, the, the person who was doing the recruiting, a manager from the Orlando office, pulled me aside and said, Dan, I've tried all I can, but I said, he said, there's just not any executives that are willing to consider hiring a blind person. He said, you've got to understand, we just hired our first woman two years ago. <laughs> and so, you know, it's hard for us to think back 30, 35 years now of where we were and where we've come, but, uh, you know, our, our journey into the future, if you look back a little bit, we've come a long way over the last 35 years. I want to share a little bit with uh, getting involved at the national level with the American Council of the Blind. Because some of you all, I've, as I've gone around and talked to different folks, uh, you know, Joey or Amanda, Debbie, all kinds of different folks here this weekend, uh, Tesh and, and, and Kim, and all kinds of wonderful individuals have had a chance to meet. And people are thinking about going to their first uh, ACB convention this year. And I really want to encourage you all to do that because I did not go to an ACB convention. An ACB convention came to Leslie and I, and that's how we got involved. So in 2009, we had uh, the ACB convention was in Orlando, Florida, in our backyard. So we went. And it was a really a life-changing experience. Um, and, and gosh, it's hard to believe that only eight or nine years later, I stand before you now as the ACB first vice president when I went to my first convention only nine years ago. So hopefully long-term time folks like uh, Carla and Adam and, and uh, Paula and some of those folks are uh, saying, oh my God, we're, hiring a, we're, we're, we're looking at you know, promoting a, a whoopersnapper here, a youngster in the crowd. But I really tell you, it. It was an eye-opening and really a, an amazing, changing experience for Leslie and I. We really went because Leslie had been uh, solicited by the Women's Concerns Group to do exercise classes. Uh, as a blind aerobics instructor, they wanted her to kind of do some, some workshops at the convention. So we went and got involved and we, you know, we signed up and it was just overwhelming even to sign up for the convention call. There's like 15 things to choose from every hour of every day. And 
you know, oh my God. And so the very first mistake the first I made the first convention I, I went to was I bought all these tickets, of which two-thirds of them I came home with. Because there was no way I could do all this stuff. I went through, I had signed up for breakfasts and luncheons and mixers and workshops. And by the second day, we were totally exhausted and we still had six more days to go. And so if you go to the convention, I do want to caution you to kind of you know, take it easy and don't sign up for too much, you know, because you can always, you can always pay at the door, but, you know, um, but one thing we did do is we went to the auction, the ACB auction, and we loved it. We fell in love with the auction. We bid on all these items, and we, of course, we didn't win any of them because we didn't have that much money to bid a lot, so about 11.30, Leslie got tired, and she went to bed, and she said, whatever you do, don't spend a whole bunch of money. Don't bid on a bunch of stuff. And I said, oh, I'm going to stay. Just want to stay a little bit longer. Well, here came a package to go to Nashville, Tennessee. Tickets to the Grand Ole Opry. Five nights hotel stay at the, at the Marriott. Uh, tickets to dinner. A $100 gift certificate to Cracker Barrel. I mean, the, the, the trash tour around Nashville, all these different things, backstage tickets for the Grand Ole Opry. So all of a sudden, the bidding starts, and before I know it, I have bid for a Nashville auction package for $1,000. <laughs> so I go back to the hotel room and kind of slink into bed. Leslie said, did you all bid on anything? And I said, um, well, I kind of bid on one little thing, but you go ahead and rest and we'll talk about it in the morning. Yeah. Well, Leslie, she's a very diligent type person. So, you know, one thing she likes to do in the morning is call and make sure all her money is still in the bank. <laughs> so she said, Dan, you didn't uh, buy anything there last night at the auction, did you? And I said, well, I, <clears throat> I did buy a uh, package to Nashville. And it was, uh, uh, how much was it? I said, well, it was a thousand dollars. What? What are we, how are we going to even get to Nashville? You know, we're going to have to pay for airline tickets. Oh my gosh, what are we going to? Well, I'm telling you guys, it kind of changed our life. We went to Nashville. One of the things that was part of the package was an evening at TPAC, an audio-described play, where you got to meet uh, Melissa Gilbert, who was playing the mom from Little House on the Prairie. You remember that? That was the play. So we got to meet Melissa Gilbert. We got to feel all the saddles and the whips and you know, meet the actors and all that kind of stuff. And so that was just an amazing experience. First time I'd ever been to an audio-described play. And then Dan and Brenda said, well, would you like to come back to our house one night and just join us for chili and talk a little bit? But we went back to Dan and Brenda's house uh, two days later. We went over, took a paratransit ride over. And we ended up eating chili, listening to them play music, playing games, and talking to about 2 o'clock in the morning. And we were hooked on the American Council of the Blind. So very soon after that, Leslie became a member of the auction committee. Dan asked me if I would be a member of the resource development committee. A year later, we were, we were members of the walk committee. And before we knew it, 
Brenda had asked if I would consider thinking about maybe running for the board of directors. They could really use somebody with my skill set, you know, blah, 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 blah. And before you know it, you know, you know, 2012 in Louisville, I got elected to the board of directors and my, 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 I'm retired now, but I'm really not retired because I think I work at least 50 hours a week for the Council of the Blind and I'm loving it. So, I cause you go to the convention, have a great time, but be careful when somebody asks you to get involved. And I want to share a story with you because in 2014, we had our fall board meeting in Las Vegas. And so, you know, Las Vegas, all kinds of stuff to do. So Leslie's from Las Vegas. She knows where to go and what to do and all that stuff. So she says, I want to go to the Mirage Casino and go to the California Pizza Kitchen. You know, they got really neat pizza, barbecue pizza, stuff like that. And she said, it's right in the middle of the sports book. Let's go and have dinner and go to the Mirage. And so Adam and Carl Rushable, they said, well, we want to go too, and Dan Dillon. So the five of us, we get in a cab, and we hightail it from the Riviera to the Mirage Hotel. We have five blind people. I got a little bit of vision, very little left, so I'm the... I'm the engineer and everybody else is the train, right? You got that train if I so the so the taxi lets us out in front of the mirage and we go through the big glass doors and we weren't we didn't walk in that marble floor more than about three steps and this gentleman says, Sir, welcome to the Mirage. How can I help you? And I said, Wow, this is great service. Could you take us to the California Pizza Kitchen? He said, I'd be happy to. Everybody hold on. So we formed our train and we went drapesing through the mirage, right? Well, after a little bit, Carla and I started to get a little suspicious because we went one direction. Then we went the other direction. It's like, does this guy work here or not? You know, he was, he was leading us all over the place. Finally, he says, I think I know where it is. So he, he turns around the corner and he finally, there's the California Pizza Kitchen. There is a line that must be, you know, 300 people deep to get in this California Pizza Kitchen. This guy says, don't you worry, you all are with me. We walk all the way around that line, up the steps. He says, these are my favorite people. We need a table for five right now. Yes, sir. So the manager comes over, clears the table off, and we all sit down. And we go, holy cow, who is this guy? You know, he must be, you know, the, the manager of the place or something. We said, thank you so much. How long have you worked at the Mirage? He said, Oh, I don't work at the Mirage. I'm, I'm the lead of the New York Teamsters Union. <laughs> so apparently the New York Teamsters Union has a lot of clout in Las Vegas <laughs> because we got treated like royalty that night. <laughs> but I want to share a little bit about what we talked about in that this week, and that's that the Council of the Blind, where it's the American Council of the Blind, the Kentucky Council of the Blind, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind, the Florida Council of the Blind, we're all kind of a big family. And so what does that mean to be a member of the Council of the Blind family? Well, I've thought about this a little bit, and so to be an effective leader and lead your family in the right way, I'm going to kind of spell out the word family and try to talk you all through a few things. So the first letter in family is what? F. F. And what does F stand for? Well, 
Okay, well, all those are beautiful Fs, but I'm going to get a little bit serious here. F stands for, Carla can say it with me, financials. <laughs> because if you're going to have a car that's going to make the long journey down the road to success, you got to have gas. And financial stability is what gives you the energy, the gas, to pull that, that car down the road. So what we had to learn with the American Council of the Blind when Carla first became treasurer, I, would, I, I hopped on the board, is we were having, we were in a very kind of difficult financial situation where we were spending, well, several hundred thousand more dollars a year than we were making and we were going through our reserves. And at that point in time, we had to make a lot of very tough financial decisions to change offices, close some thrift stores, including one here in the Louisville area. Uh, we had to lay off a, a person from our Minnesota office and from our Arlington uh, Alexandria office, uh, Arlington office at that point in time. All kind of hard decisions that we had to make as leaders, but what it allowed us to do was really get to a strong financial footing where with those, with those kind of cuts we've made, plus in, in improving different revenue streams, so quite a big turnaround. And so, uh, you know, Carla had a whole lot to do with it, so I'll brag on Carla a little bit there. But besides that, it was really, as a board, coming together and remembering how important it is to keep your financials stable. So I encourage you at the chapter level, at your affiliate level, do a budget, understand where your revenue is coming from, understand where your expenses are coming from. We do this at our Greater Orlando Council of the Blind, where we spend a lot of time putting a budget together every year. We have a committee, we work on it really hard, we lay out our expenses and our revenue. And what we found by doing that and putting it in writing is everybody gets their say at the table, and then we have it all kind of written out so we know how much money we're going to donate to our lighthouse, to the Braille Challenge, to Blinded Vets, to Southeastern Guide Dogs, to the ACB Walk and, and uh, the ACB Braille Form Raffle Tickets and all the different things that we want to, to do to help our members to uh, provide, uh, you know, delegate, money for delegates and money for... Uh, people to go to our state convention and things like that. So, so just keep that in mind. That is a very important part of being a successful leader is you've got to keep your eye on your financials. Now the next, what's the next letter in family? A. a. All right, this is going to be a little funny. But A to me is you've got to be able to adapt and do different things. When I first got involved with the American Council of the Blind, I had kind of a financial background and all that. So I got put all the fundraising committees and the budget and finance committees and all these things, and, and that was perfectly fine. But when Kim Charlson became president, she said, Dan, uh, is there anything else? You know, she, she, was, she was a wonderful president. So she said, how, you know, is there other things you would like to get involved in? And I said, I said, well, you know, Kim, I really appreciate being on all the financial committees and all that, but I said, I'd really like to try something a little bit different. I said, Leslie and I, for the very first time, uh, this was f four or five years ago, we went to our first audio-described movie. We went to Lincoln, which you would not think of Lincoln as being a very, you know, romantic movie. 
But for Leslie and I, being able to go to the movie theater, we took a, you know, took a, took a taxi, went to the movie theater, walked in ourselves, got our, you know, went to customer service, got our audio describe receiver, you know, got a little help to get to the theater, and we sat there and listened to our first audio described movie. I mean, by the time that movie was over with, we were holding hands and tears were coming down our, our cheeks. Not because Lincoln was so such a romantic movie, <laughs> it really wasn't romantic at all, but for the first time, we really got to feel a full experience of what going to a movie theater was like as a blind couple. And it was transformative. So I said, Kim, you know, I wouldn't mind trying to help a little bit with the audio description project. She said, well, let me see what I can do. So she calls me a week later and says, well, Dan, I'm going to go ahead and make you the chair of that committee. <laughs> so, so be careful what you ask for. But what, what I've learned, so you know, I came into this not knowing much about audio description. And over the past five years, what I've learned has just been amazing. Getting to deal with the Federal Communications Commission, understand how the commission works, understand how legislation works. You know, I used to think when a law got passed, that was it, you were done. We passed the 21st Century Communication and Video Accessibility Act in 2010. We're done, we've all got audio description now. No, I mean, you've got to go through notices of public rulemaking, advanced notices of public rulemaking, responses to notices of public rulemaking, the promulgation of the regulation, the legal interpretation of the regulation once it's promulgated. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. So here we are now in 2018, and by July of this year, we're finally going to go to seven and a half hours of audio described programming on the four major broadcast networks and the five major cable networks. So what a tremendous advancement, but it's not easy. And I, you know, it was such an opportunity to learn what is out there and the power of ACB to make a change in those areas. Do you all realize that through structured negotiations with Netflix two years ago, the American Council of the Blind was able to get Netflix to guarantee that all of their original content would be audio described. So now we have over 300 programs on Netflix that are audio described. Without even having to go to structured negotiations, we've now done the same thing with Amazon. And Apple iTunes now offers over 500 audio described movies through Apple iTunes. So in the course of like two years, we now have over 1,500 first-run audio-described movies. This year, all nine movies that got nominated for the best uh, motion picture by, by the Oscars, by the Academy, were all audio-described. I mean, think of where we've come in that area. And, and it's been exciting to be a part of that. I, I have to share with you that the one little thing, you know, you feel like you could do a little bit for advocacy every once in a while, but you think, will it ever happen? Well, let me tell you. So we go to the Regal movie theaters, right? Now, if you all go to Regal or any of the movie theaters, and you, do any of you all go and listen to audio description yeah. at the movies? Give me a yeah, okay. Well, when you listen, what, what's one of the big things that drives you nuts is 
you don't really know whether your equipment's working until the movie starts, right? Well, this was bothering me. So I got in touch with, through a contact of Dan Dillon's, with Randy Smith, who was the HR director for Regal Cinemas. And I said, Randy, you know, you, we don't know when we're in the movies whether a movie's audio described until it starts. And I said, is there any way, you know, Regal has some, some trailers, some advertisement they do before the movie. Is there any way we could make some of those audio described? She, he said, well, Dan, that's very interesting. We've just made our promotion of turn off your cell phones and eat popcorn and Coke. We've just made that closed captioning. Let me ask the producers if they'll make it audio described. I said, well, thank you for looking into that, Randy. Well, Leslie and I went to a movie two months later. We're sitting there. We've got our headsets on. And all of a sudden, the popcorn comes on, and it starts talking. <laughs> I jumped up and cheered in the middle of the movie theater. People, Leslie, sit down. People are looking at like you're crazy. I said, Leslie, the popcorn's talking. It's awesome. <laughs> and so... That's my one claim to advocacy. I can go home now. I've, I've, you know, I can retire because the popcorn talks at Regal Cinemas now, and I made a difference. <laughs> so you too can make a strategic major difference in uh, blind and visually impaired people's lives. It's not too late. <laughs> All right. So M. What's the M in family? Money. 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 No, money. We've already done it. Membership. Okay. I, I'm going to go a different way. Magic. 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 And magic is when something that you just can't even think about happens. And how many times in a Council of the Blind situation have you had a magical moment? I'll have to tell you my magical moment, and I might tear up a little bit, but uh, talking with, uh, with Joey and Natalie and, and Matt and Amanda, I, I think they might have had a similar magical moment to me. But, you know, being a blind guy, I was in my late 30s, and, you know, I was single, and life was going along okay. Then I went to a convention, and lo and behold, Leslie... St <gasps> <clears throat> Leslie Stone showed up in my life and I would not you know if I was not blind I would not have met Leslie and if Leslie wasn't blind thank God she wouldn't have met me for sure but we came together and so it transformed my life forever that was a magical moment that I will never give up and it happened because I was a blind person and, and it's kind of interesting of how many magical, miracle moments there are in our lives. Uh, I used to have a friend at work, and I'd say, well, how are we going to get over this? How are we going to get this problem solved? And Rose would say, Tamo. And I'd say, Tamo? What's that mean? She said, well, we're going to have a Tamo. And I said, what's a Tamo? She said, then a miracle occurs. And how many times in your organization have you kind of been at that point where you say, what, what, how are we going to get through this? And then a miracle happens. I mean, we, things, it's, it's, you know, maybe it's ordained destiny, maybe it's faith, I don't know. But 
just just this last few months, you know, we worked very hard with our our budget and finance committee and our strategic development planning group. Carolyn and Adam can, can speak to this as well, but we've worked for years to try to get people convinced to create an endowment fund with the American Council of the Blind, a way that, that people could give through their last will and testament, and through that endowment, their gift could live in perpetuity to help the Council of the Blind. And we've always come up with all kinds of reasons why we couldn't do it. Well, this year, in our fall board meeting, we voted to go ahead and start an endowment. And there was a lot of mashing of teeth and all that, but we went ahead and we did it. And we said, God, we'll all be old and gone before this ever has enough money to make any difference. Well, just in December, two months later, we have received two um, bequests. I don't know, maybe it's fate, maybe it's something, but you know, it's magical. It's just magical. All right. The next, the next letter in family is what? I. I. And I is for, um, well, go ahead. What's I for? Ice cream. Ice cream. Hey, that sounds good. Yeah. I. I. I is for independence. I like independence. That's a very good thing. Yeah. Integrity, that's a very good one. But I'm going to go with I is for um, identity. Identity. And I really think it's important to, to believe that uh, what, what you identify with is really important. And so I was talking about that in one of our last uh, networking workshops today about do you identify yourself as a member of the Kentucky Council of the Blind, the Bluecrest Council of the Blind, the American Council of the Blind? To me, it becomes part of your DNA, part of your fabric, and it's who you are. And so identity becomes very important, and it's, and it's how you present yourself every day and how you represent your organization. So as a leader, I'll never forget when I first became a board member, Brian Charlson kind of pulled me aside and he said, Dan, you can never anymore state or say anything that isn't going to be reflected as a board member of the American Council of the Blind because that's who you're representing. You can't turn that off. You can't say, well, I'm not a board member today, but I'll be a board member tomorrow. You can't say I'm an officer of Kentucky Council today but I'm going to take that back and go say something else tomorrow. You, you, you are representing your organization, and that becomes your identity. And as part of that, it's, it's something bigger than being a member of a social organization. I mean, how many of you really believe that Kentucky Council or the Greater Louisville Council or Bluegrass Council is really part of your fabric, your family? It's your extended family. Give me a round of applause if you feel that. I, I know, I know, I do. I mean, I feel like you know. It took. I felt like I was here a half hour to yesterday, and I already felt like I knew people. I felt like I was just making connections left and right, and it's that identity, that really, that cultural norm that really will drive your organization forward. All right, L. What's L? Love. Love. Love is important. I'm going with laughter. I was you got to have laughter, right? You got to have fun. So, 
we all got a story we can tell on ourselves, right? So I'll, 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 I'm going to not try to tell too many, but I've got to tell one. You know, you, you get, you know, I was a, a manager with Siemens Energy, and, you know, you, you kind of, you're working to break down walls there. And so part of my job uh, as a project manager was I got assigned a lot of international work at one point in time in my career when we became part of Siemens and Siemens is a German-based company which has offices all over the world but their headquarters are in Munich and Berlin, Germany. And so, you know, I get, you know, okay, Dan, you know, got to take you and your team over there and you've got to make a presentation uh, on this global project. So I'm like, okay, well, I had something to do. So my team took off, you know, a day earlier for, than me, and you know, I'm by myself, and I'm, you know, flying over to, to Berlin, and you know, at first it's kind of a little scary, but on the other hand, it was kind of exhilarating. You know, you're you're getting an opportunity to fly internationally. At that point in time, Siemens had a lot of money, so we got to fly business class, and they gave you drinks and a nice meal and a hot towel. And, you know, this was really cool. And then you land, and you know, it's amazing. I couldn't speak any German, but most of the Germans could speak some English. So I was able to, you know, get in the cab, get to the airport, get you know, get to the hotel, get checked in, and I, uh, you know, got to the got to the offices, and you know, got some uh, directions to get up to the meeting. So I walk in, and here we are. You know, there's 20 people in the room. You know, half German colleagues, uh, my team of about six from the United States. And I, I walk in with my cane, and they all look at me like, what in the hell? <laughs> uh, sorry, sir, did you, did, you, did you come in the wrong? I said, you know, and they all said, oh, this is Dan Spoon. He's our manager. So I went, oh, he's your manager? He's, got, he's blind. And so, okay. So, so you know, I had worked hard to understand the materials and all that, and I, I really had a good understanding, you know, in our world. So I went around, shook hands, said hello to everybody, you know. Very collegial group. You always in, in Germany. You, you the first thing you do in a meeting is you go around counterclockwise and you shake hands with everybody in the room. It's a very good custom, really. And you go all the way around, introduce yourself, and so you know the meeting kind of got started. And we did a PowerPoint. You know, ev everything in business is PowerPoint presentations. So if you've had an opportunity to see those, so it's a it's a projector that's projecting uh, you know an, an image on a wall with you know the text and, and graphs about what you're going to talk about that day. And so, you know, I'm sitting at the end of the table and everybody's kind of looking at me and, and the presentation starts and we start going down action item number one and item number two and item number three. Well, I've got all these things totally, you know, seared in my head into memory. And so we get to item number three and, you know, I had a question about that. So I pointed at the PowerPoint and I said, okay, item number three, I really, I have some questions about financially whether we can really do this for the 150000 we've got identified. Can you tell me what all is going to make up that budget number? And the Germans answer some of the questions and the Americans answer some of the questions. We went on to number four, number five. So about the third or fourth time there, I stopped about item nine. I said, okay, I got another question and I pointed at the PowerPoint. And finally, John Gates, who was one of my good team members, he said, Dan, stop right now. And I'm like, whoa, what do you mean, John? He said, Dan, you're making really good points. But he said, every time you point to that outside window over there on that wall, the entire team of 20 people look out that window like they're going to see something. So if you wouldn't mind pointing the other wall where the projector is, I think the meeting would move along a lot better. 
So I said, well, thank you, John. I appreciate it. It took you to item nine before you were willing to share that with me? He said, well, I was really enjoying it for the first couple of items, but then my neck kind of got sore as I kept looking out the window. So figured I better let you know. I said, well, thanks. So you never know. Even when you think you're at your hottest, you're really not. But, you know, you got to handle it any way you can. So, all right, what's the you in family? It's a why, isn't it? What's the why in family? I gave that one away. You! <laughs> Boy, I messed that one up. All right, the why in family is you, and, and that's because the most important person that can make a change in your organization is you. What you do each and every day really, really can make a difference. It can really turn the organization around. So think of what you can do to make a difference in the Kentucky Council of the Blind or the Bluegrass Council of the Blind. Do you like to do fundraising? Do you like computer and technical work? Do you want to work at becoming a leader someday? Do you want to start a new chapter? You know, how do you want to be involved? The sky's the limit. If you can think it, you can do it. You know, we just had the 50th anniversary of, of Martin Luther King's death. And, you know, what an inspirational figure who used to say, I have a dream. I have a dream that the Kentucky Council of the Blind can have a thousand members. I have a dream that we can have audio uh, pedestrian signals on every corner in Louisville. I have a dream that we will have 100% audio described uh, programming on all of our television stations. Have, have your own dreams, but have a dream and work out there every day to make your dream come true. As Bobby Kennedy once said, and I'll paraphrasing here, but some people see things as they are and ask why. I want all of you to dream of things that never were and ask why not. Thank you for inviting me. Have a good evening. Page three, the Sound Prince calendar. On June 5, the Office for the Blind and Office of Oak Rehab merger hearing will be held in Louisville. There will be two hearings, one from 10 a.m. to noon and one from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time. They will be at the McDowell Center, 8412 Westport Road in Louisville. For more information, contact Pam Minton, 800-346-2115. On June 5, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision We'll have a conference call meeting at 8 p.m. on the conference line at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On June 6, there will be an OFB-OVR merger hearing in Lexington. Again, there will be two hearings that day, 10 a.m. to noon and 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. They will be at the Bluegrass Council of the Blind office, 1093 South Broadway, Suite 1214, in Lexington. For more information, call Teresa Thomas at 859-259-1834. On June 7, the 
Office for the Blind and OVR merger hearing will be held in Covington, 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time at the Kentucky Career Center, located at 1324 Madison Avenue in Covington. Call Cindy Bowles at 800-334-6895. On June 7, the American Council of Blind Alliance will hold its monthly conference call at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. This is an opportunity for blind lions from around the country to share ideas on how to be more involved in their local clubs. The call-in number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. On June 8, the GLCB Roundabout will be held from 3.30 to 10 p.m. Education and Technology, 3.30 to 5 Discussion, 5 to 6, dinner, 6 to 7, bingo, $2 per person, games and crafts from 7 to 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville, call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On June 9, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Board will meet at 11 a.m. by phone at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On June 10, KCB Next Generation will have its conference call meeting. This is its regular monthly meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time for members who are 40 and under. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On June 12, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, meets in Owensboro from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. The speaker will be from the Owensboro Police Department talking about scams. It will be at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. Call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485-8170 for more information. June 13 is another OFB OVR hearing, this time in Hazard. 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time at the Kentucky Career Center, 412 Roy Campbell Drive in Hazard. Call Lisa Mead at 606-436-5751, extension 7028 for details. June 13 is the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind Meeting at 7 p.m. by conference call, 605-475-4700, enter code 155-619. For more information, call 859-781-7369. June 13 is the KCBPR Membership Committee meeting. This meeting is at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and the dial-in number is 669-900-6833. Enter code 35725951193. On June 14 is another OFB OVR merger hearing in Ashland. This is the last in the series of merger meetings. It is from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time at the Kentucky Career Center in Ashland, 411 19th Street. Contact Kaneta Free Home at 800 800- Three three four six eight eight one for more information. On June 14, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold the next support group meeting 
from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 for more information. On June 15, there will be a GLCB roundabout, including education and technology from 3.30 to 5 p.m., discussion time and tip sheet from 5 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, $5 per person, and games and crafts from 7 until 10. Sign up by calling 502-895-4598. June 16 is Braille for the Sighted from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. at the APH Museum. Do you ever stare at those dots in an elevator and wonder how they can possibly mean words? In two hours, we can have you reading simple Braille and writing Braille on a slate and stylus or with a Braille writer. Contact the APH Museum at 502-899-2213. Best for adults and children 6 and up. June 17 is the next KSB Alumni Board Meeting at 8 p.m. by phone at 605-475-6006. Enter code 294444. On June 18, the Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its June Board Meeting at 7.30 p.m., by conference call, dial 669-900-6833 and enter code 357-259-5193. June 22 will be the last GLCB roundabout of the month. Education and Technology, 3.30 to 5 p.m. Discussion, 5 to 6. Dinner, 6 to 7, $5 per person. And games and crafts from 7 until 10 at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Sign up by calling 502-895-4598. On June 24 is the ACB Families Parent Support Group. By conference call at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. The telephone number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. On June 25, Guide Dog Users of Kentuckiana will have their next membership conference call at 7 p.m. by telephone. The phone number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. June 27 is the Bluegrass Council Peer Support Group. It's from noon to 2 p.m. at the Bluegrass Council office in Lexington, 1093 South Broadway. Be sure to give them a call at least two days in advance at 859-259-1834. June 29 to July 6 is the 57th Annual Conference and Convention of the American Council of the Blind. The week will begin with tours of St. Louis and a trip to the Cardinals baseball game and end with a historic visit to Hannibal, Missouri to learn all about Mark Twain. Enjoy exhibits, workshops, programs, additional tours, and many fun activities at the Union Station Hotel in St. Louis. Pre-registration closes June 17. For more information, visit www.acbconvention.org. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, Call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. 
Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio Eye at radioeye.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prince. Have a great week, everybody.